Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? It's your rabbi's favorite podcast, a.k.a. the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman. Joined, as always, the Bob to my Doug McKenzie. Yeah. Chad Sowash is in the house, and we are happy, excited, giddy to welcome Zach Chertok giddy. to the podcast. He is research analyst of employee experience at IDC. If you don't know IDC, they're a global provider of market intelligence, advisory services, and events for the IT, telecom, and consumer tech markets. Summaries provided by our friends at LinkedIn. Zach, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> that wasn't Chad GPT. <laughs> I was going to say it's good to be here, but um, yeah, that's probably the the most intense summary I've seen in a long time of what we do. But, you know, we kind of live at the nexus of the buyer, the investor, and the vendor. So providing guidance to all three so that the, the cycle knows what everything is, what's going on. I want listeners to know that Zach is really smart, and I feel smarter before we even push record. Yes, yes. So put your thinking caps on, kids. We're going to go deep. You don't know where this We're is going to go. go. Not, just the, <laughs> not just the tip. We're going to go deep in on this one. one. So, so, Zach... Before we get to that, we like our listeners to know who they're listening to. So give us a little bit about you as a person, and then we'll get to all the company stuff. Well, sure. So, you know, I'll start professional and then go a little bit more personal into what I do when I don't have do the, use the hat on. But, um, but, you know, professionally, I've been in and around the HCM space for the last 15 years. Um, kind of fell, you know, civil engineering by training out of McGill, fell backwards through project management into the tech sector, consequence of graduating the financial crisis. Nobody builds anything when when capital's slow, but um, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> Imagine that. You know, from the vendor side with Kronos for four years, then went off into the analyst side, and have kind of been on all sides of the sector. So, investor, developer, practitioner, analyst, 
um, list goes on, kind of creates a unique flow of... Don't forget Virgin Pulse. You need well, to throw a little yeah. Virgin Pulse in there. So the, the wonderful thing when you change analyst firms is, you know, when you live in a state that stands by non-competes, uh -huh. you tend to, yeah, analysts tend to go into the product marketing world for a while. <laughs> um, so I ran end-to-end -end HCM coverage for Aberdeen for four and a half years. And during the pandemic, um, transitioned back into the product marketing world with Virgin Pulse and, um, and worked for software for a bit. Got a lot of exposure to worlds, one world I hadn't necessarily been in independently yet, and another one that I was kind of returning to with Virgin Pulse was the new one in integrated well-being. And, you know, from a functional standpoint inside organizations, always always kind of knew what it was about, yep. um, covered it from that vantage point, but learned a lot of about its impact on the overall benefits management realm, getting exposure to the healthcare side of it and, and the mental stress side of it uh -huh. by working and sifting through everything VP was looking at. And honestly, post being there, it's wonderful to see sort of how they've been evolving as well in, in the time now that I've been at IDC. Um, and with Workforce Software, you know, really got thrown into the nexus of workforce management employee experience. They were going through the acquisition of what is now workforce experience. And again, it was great to see how that played out and how it really filled niches and for frontline workers that were kind of really going, you know, statically going un, unmanaged by some of the broader experience space. And then got the call one day, fortunately, from one of my earliest mentors in the field, Lisa Rowan, who was running HCM for IDC. Um, they were looking for a new employee experience analyst. Uh, agonized about it for about four days because I was working for an organization that I loved, but opportunity to go work for a mentor and ultimately made the jump to, to IDC. Come on, Zach, give me some personal stuff. This is HR. Give me some walks on the beach. Give me some poetry reading. Give me something. <laughs> so I will tell you that when you're covering HCM, I joke with a lot of people. The good news is market high, market low. Everybody needs to reorganize the company, so I'll never be out of a job. The yes. bad news is nothing is transactional or rational about this. So you need borderline a degree in clinical science, in <laughs> clinical psychology, rather, uh -huh. to be able to, to understand what, which end is up. The nature of that means is that when I'm in my off time, I want to go someplace where nobody can reach me. So I'm either hiking on a mountain or I've got my head underwater swimming. My two, my two sort of offsite passions. Or I'm hanging with Aaron Rodgers in an unlit <laughs> uh, doom, doomsday machine. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so we're talking before the episode about your, your role at IDC, the cats that you're herding. Let's dig into that. Tell us about it, set the table, and, and dig in. Well, you know, as I said earlier at IDC, we work a lot both with the buyer, the investor, and the vendor side. So we kind of have this trifecta of personas that we drive sort of to and around each other. And the last, you know, three, four years since, since the, the pandemic loosened, the restrictions loosened up, organizations started, you know, opening up, hiring, picked up, all of that, have been just dramatic for transition in every corner of, of how the workforce is managed, how it's engaged, what the front line looks like, and, and how it's even defined. And what that means is, you know, within the three areas of coverage that we have at IDC, talent acquisition, modern HR, which really focuses on core HR and HR for the HR, H, you know, HCM for the HR stakeholder, and then employee experience, which is frontline automation, resource personalization, everything for the frontline and the front office. We, all three spaces have been drawn really tighter together to look at how, you know, at, at how they, they relationally interact as the nature of the tech stack is changing for organizations. So we're moving on from kind of this functional solution proposition into the concept of the data use case. So do you guys, do you, do you actually help with the tech stack and being able to identify where were there redundancies? Because, I mean, mm -hmm. many, many companies have way too many solutions in their stack as it is today. Oh, yeah. You take a look at some of the core 
uh, offerings from their applicant tracking system or their HCM, and they've either acquired or they've created features that do what right. their point solutions do, right? It just it, it seems like there's just all this feature bloat, redundancy. What do you guys, which obviously is a great job for you to, to, to slim them down. Well, we, we had Jay and Jay on. Uh-huh. All he said was three figures in terms of how many tools they had. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, mind. even when you get it down into the SMB scaling up, I mean, they, look, the, the pathway to automation and, and digital transformation still, not that they're the same thing, but still follows the traditional path of small business organically grows, you know, automates by need, hits the mid-level, and either they can organically transition into whichever one of the major solutions that they're using a part of, you know, fulfills consolidation. But more often than not, they end up in this, okay, we got to pivot and think strategically here and, and get our solutions pulled together, and then the sweet play comes in. And we're dealing in a market now with suite 2.0. 1.0 was, you know, six to 10 years ago where each functional silo had its suite and, you know, turnkey HR could turn the lights on and, and IT wasn't really needed. Turns out, oops, IT is kind of needed because all the data sets have to talk to each other because <laughs> yeah. finance and ops need to know what people are doing. HR needs to know how budget is thinking and all the decisions have impacts on each other. Right. So now we're at functional 2.0, a functional suite 2.0, where the data lake is being created, you know, cross-functionally operationally, and through one mechanism or another, whether it's a functional sweet box that sits on top of the lake or it's a direct reach into the lake, we're seeing you know, the functional users still have their, their functionality ownership, yep. but the data ownership is really spread organization-wide. So, so we're seeing a lot of demand for Suite 2.0 come first from the mid-market and then scale up into the enterprise. I think the enterprise just really, to you know, to the J and J example, needs to inventory their landscape. Oh God! Yes. Understand and start to consolidate their buying centers, and not necessarily say you know one person is going to be in charge for a huge disparate conglomerate like right. that. Right. But that there's going to be sort of buying guidelines as to how it all needs to fit together and how the the data you know the the data management gets consolidated. So that data lake that you're talking about, how big of a disruption and or just impact overall is large language models and contextualizing all that data mm -hmm. and then being able to scale faster? Uh, how's that going to change that yeah. next suite? So the concept of LLM it, it's funny every time I go out to San Francisco I always catch up with a friend for you know for dinner who works in I just call the field of digital simplicity because it's the easiest way to describe it he does but <laughs> um, when I always start talking about these concepts because it's very easy to live in the HCM tech bubble uh -huh. and, and all that and get wrapped up in the language he just constantly looks at me and says you know okay simplify it and we just we go through these cycles you know he describes um, things like Gen AI LLMs as really machine learning that learns from itself. So kind of whittles it down into more of a core concept. And so when we're talking about, you know, the use of, of LLMs and, you know, again, at the broader concept of Gen AI in these, in these massive data sets, we're really kind of in the early stages of what it can do. Yeah. Um, so we're using it for gui kind of guided speech, breaking writer's block, guided, you know, basic guided functional recommendations, mm -hmm. but steering away from decision frameworks, which is good because we still don't want people to be dependent. We want to augment kind of the, the synthesis of information so that the decision makers can stay in the decision timing right. and not in the aggregate research timing. So for the knowledge segments, the decision makers, it's, it's a, you know, a pretty powerful time reducer. What we kind of expect kind of in the dream state, if you were to have a World's Fair tomorrow, what could we do with this, is that LLMs do potentially hold the capacity to reconcile disparate data sets without a direct data link. So when you think about, you know, could we integrate systems at the data level without literally having them physically talk to each other, having yeah. a physical pathway, 
Could an LLM do that? Conceptually, sure. Reconcile into a common language and translate and bring the data sets together. Does that mean that we're going to sustain a lot of solution disparity further than we should? Probably not, because then it bleeds into the functional use case and employees get unhappy. But then we have vendors like a ServiceNow, for example, who will sit over the top and build a single portal regardless of how many solutions you have. So what we're seeing is an explosion in really the opportunities for how you can come at your solution space based on how your buying centers are structured, uh -huh. how centralized or, or disaggregated your organizational decision lines are, but with the fundamental component of the fact that your data needs to be centralized. Um, so no matter what happens, that part is, is becoming non-negotiable. So the data use case is driving the sale more so now than the functional use case. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions? And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about text kernel. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. Text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, text uh. kernel brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. TextKernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey, kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that, that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener, get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> Are you struggling to attract the talent you need today? Do you lack visibility into where your recruitment ad dollars are really going? There's a better way. Acquire ROI is a programmatic job advertising platform built to optimize your budget and supercharge hiring. Acquire ROI automatically manages and measures recruitment ads across job boards so you can allocate your budget based on insights, not hunches. Get to quality candidates faster and cost-effectively scale hiring across roles, all while gaining complete visibility and control over your recruitment marketing investments. Say goodbye to manual guesswork, inconsistent performance, and wasted spending. And hello to optimized automated campaigns that produce qualified applicants. At Acquire ROI, we make job advertising easy. Visit us at acquireroi.com and start transforming your talent acquisition today. And I loved how you you framed the the issue of all the everyone's using the same data or you're, you're you're building bridges to different departments which i think is your role or part of your role talk about what idc is using to get 
marketing to talk to HR to talk to whoever because that's got to be hell, a hell of a challenge. A whole lot of buyer guidance. When I have calls with buyers, now mind you, I mean I've been a, I've been a student and rather a snarky student of management philosophy and and cycles for the last fifteen years. When it came time for grad school, I kind of decided, okay, not going to do the MBA because I'm getting paid to study it. So why would I pay to study it? Not that I don't talk to the experts. I mean, I get access to researchers at different institutions all over the place because of what I do. So, you know, still in, in the vein of having more questions than answers, contrary to what this sounds like. But, um, but <laughs> <laughs> the first thing is when I get on the call with a buyer is I find out who's in the room to, to really understand and dive deep into what kind of influence do they have to find out what they really need. If HR is in the room, without a doubt, they're going to need a business case. Otherwise, they wouldn't be coming to us. Yeah. Right. But they also need a little bit of functional guidance to understand, okay, is what you're thinking you need actually what you need? So let's dig into your deeper problem and see if there is a causality that you haven't looked at yet. So that before you go down the road of this particular functional piece, is there a way that you can better connect it into, into your core strategy into your inner strategy or is really just the extension what you need because you've already done the rest. Yeah. Uh, more often than not, they haven't done the rest. Not to their discredit. It's just that they're, they, they have so many challenges that come to their desk if it's just the HR person that they're, they're just trying to manage through it because... They're fighting you know, fires. Well, and, and their staff counts honestly have not increased. So, and we know this and their budgets are, are kind of stagnant, same as they've always been. So they're trying to make the best of what they have and I don't blame them. More often than not though, where I can, if the challenge, if the conversation gets to a point where I'm in violent agreement with an H with the HR person, <laughs> okay, fine, go pull your finance person out of whatever meeting they're in and bring them to the call or we're going to schedule another call and I'm going to talk to them about it because I can tell you about the budget need that you need to make to realize the investment on the back end because we've looked at this a hundred bazillion times. Yeah. Finance people are fun. <laughs> um, I'm probably the only person that's going to describe them as fun because I discovered the reason why they, I keep telling them what they're doing wrong and they keep coming back for more is because I was in a meeting with a vendor a couple weeks ago and I finally heard how it was coming out of my mouth and I realized I sound like their mother's. It's the discipline they either did or didn't get as a child, and it dusts off nostalgia, so they keep coming back for more. <laughs> Are we going to name some no, names I will, or not? I, I, will, I will protect the innocent from, uh, uh, from this one. But, no um but I realize that's, that's really what it boils down to is that to take, for lack of better words, squishy subjects in, in HR and people management, the behavioral stuff that finance really doesn't want to have to care about, uh -huh. that, that is, not, it is too behavioral for you know, operations, transactional management styles, to, to take all of that and put it into language that they're going to respond to, they need a certain air of confidence when the, when the, ex, the, the proverbial experts come into the room to convince them and get them over the edge, which is where HR has a challenge. I mean, when I teach students, you know, I teach teaching for Columbia H. Sam for five years, the first thing we do is teach them the difference between an HR leader and the BHR, the business HR, because you have to walk in with that confidence. You have to know your numbers. You have to be able to answer these questions and, and, and develop your wit to be quick on your response. Well, you have to know what the business does. And, and HR doesn't understand, again, when they're, when they're trying to go after budget, they have to understand how they impact sales, how they impact marketing, how they impact how engineering. Do we, how do we make money again? Yeah, what's, I mean, I mean th well, that's the thing. But, and, the other, but the other challenge that they face too is HR is caught between, is caught almost in a no win, win, no win sandwich here. Because I think it's cute that everybody thinks that with the advent of a CHRO, HR got a seat at the table. No. Here's what really happened. <laughs> Finance and ops moved their seats slightly further apart so the CHRO could bring a folding chair to the table. That's what <laughs> happened. So, so you think about the picture of 
fighting, fighting, fighting to get, you know, a position where your your face, your visage is seen among the people at the table. Right. But you have to toe the line or you'll be easily kicked out of the room. Right. And so at once HR is advocating for the organization and is listening to what is bubbling up from the line of business, but is caught with just how far they can advocate for that at the table or risk losing their seat. So even as employee experience, for example, starts to come to the fore as a line of business mandate with the data managed between with the HRIT partnership, uh-huh. you know, we're seeing a lot more of the responsibility for that come from line of business management as a challenge to HR's remit because line of business management has not fought for the seat at the table. They don't have anything to lose in standing up for, you know, for what the employees want and need to see. Uh-huh. So we start to see in some organizations, the HR line of business partnership forms well. In other organizations, we see line of business management kind of threatening what the remit of HR should be and adopting some of those characteristics. We're here at HR Tech, a big shoe where everybody uh, samples really, their wares. Really big shoe. Why are you here? What have you seen at the show that has piqued your interest? What technologies or companies have you excited? Give us your HR Tech experience breakdown. Um, well, I will admit it's colored by probably the seven conferences that I've been to before this. But, um, but you know, on the, on the sweet side, when we look at the big players, like I call the big three, you know, what's your Workday SAP Oracle. From an integrated standpoint, they're definitely pursuing the data cap ownership across the entire operations layer. So, um, so we've seen a lot of transformation in the full deck tech stack from them, which is, has been an interesting journey. We see sort of more strategic alignment and unity again. But the big concept really is going to market on the data use case for a lot of vendors, still promoting functionality, but at the end of the day, the data use case is setting the, the value proposition. It's more committed to this year than it was last year. I always joke that what's the buzzword this year that's going to make me want to throw up walking on the floor. <laughs> I had a toss up between Gen AI and skills, not that either one is is lacking in value. I just challenge people to say define it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it turned out to be responsible AI. Ooh. Um, oh. Now, mind you, good concept, but there's no standard <laughs> definition, so make me believe it. So that's, you know, it's the one that I kind of challenge them. Okay, you know, about maybe a third of you actually have a good definition for it. So that was what it turned out to be. But like last year, we're not, you know, I'm up in the analyst room. We get, we do a lot of briefings with vendors across the board. This right. is the okay. best place for us to meet everybody all okay. in one place. Yep. See what they're doing. Talk about our upcoming research. What else should be in the purview and kind of have that meeting of the minds. And like last year, we're not getting a lot of marketing buzz speak from them. They're being very, all of you are being, Fuel 50, as we're sitting here, being included, uh-huh. is being very frank with what is coming to market, what we see that they're not doing. There's a lot more humility in the room. Okay. And not just among the vendor space, among, you know, both myself and the analysts too. It's, it's that pretense is gone and, and it was gone last year. It's nice to see that it's sustaining into this year. Uh-huh. And then at a functional level, seeing some of the gray spaces between some of these new concepts getting filled. So, you know, skills, great. It's come on the board. I'm, I, I get it. Organizations want better adaptability and maneuverability and skills does it. It decouples the employee's sense of value from their role to how they actually contribute so that there's opportunities for growth personalization, um, for, to put it short. Yeah. But organizations need guidance into building their foundational taxonomies before they can get into a dynamic skills architecture. So a lot of folks want to get there. They just don't know how to start because a lot of HR isn't trained on the ontology framework. No. So we've no. seen some vendors come forward with guiding that, um, that foundational ontology creation whether at a service level or an automation level, that's an example of a gray area. On the benefit side, we've seen you know a lot of 
um, employee dashboard guidance to decisions based on you know tie-ins on variable benefit structures and well-being alongside you know benefits data from historical health records. If I had a benefits tool that would allow me to equitably select my plan based on my health history and participation, oh my God, benefits would be a breeze. I wouldn't dread sifting through those 150-day page document nonsense from the insurers or even using a basic comparison tool and having to sift through 70,000 boxes. So, you know, so those are the examples of the gray areas between functional peak triangles that we're seeing start to get filled in. Because the world is in transition right now, there's a lot of opportunity as more of those areas are opening up that we're seeing vendors differentiate themselves into, even if their original core propositions are still comparable. So there's a lot more differentiation between even like vendors than we've seen in previous years. Can you dig it? I knew that you could. Zach, for our listeners who want to know more about you, where would you send them? You can feel free to either find me on LinkedIn under, you know, just my straight last name, uh, first and last name rather, or you can certainly reach out at Z-C-H-E-R-T-O-K at IDC.com. Big brain, lots of snark, and he says visage, (laughs) not visage. Take that. Chad, that is another one in the can. We We out. Wow. Look at you. You made it through an entire episode of the Chat and Chase podcast. Or maybe you cheated and fast-forwarded to the end. Either way, there's no doubt you wish you had that time back. Valuable time you could have used to buy a nutritious meal at Taco Bell, enjoy a pour of your favorite whiskey, or just watch big booty Latinas and bug fights on TikTok. No, you hung out with these two chuckleheads instead. Now go take a shower and wash off all the guilt. But save some soap, because you'll be back. Like an awful train wreck, you can't look away. And like Chad's favorite western, you can't quit them either. We out. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.